the advent of hope. The advent of hope. So as we come into the Christmas season, um, we have something we call Advent. And Advent is traditionally celebrated as um, four weeks prior to Christmas. And um, I don't know all the details behind it, but I think that it's really important because one of the things that can get lost in, in life right now is how important is Christmas? And if we're not careful, what happens is that during the Christmas season is we get inundated with what the culture has to offer us. And, um, and it becomes a part of the way we do things. And so I'm praying that as we look, as we take more time, we take the weeks ahead of time to actually consider what is Christmas? What is it really all about? And these songs beautifully display, really put on to display what the heart of Christmas is. And it's really the, the looking forward to the Savior, the knowing that Jesus has come and He was born into the world. And what does that really mean for the world? What does that mean for our world? But what did that mean for their world back in the time? So you have to think of the history, but you also have to think of what does it mean to us. So sometimes we would like to just take the history out of the Bible and just make it work for us. But you have to realize the history of the Bible was a part of back then. So I'm going to share on well, the very first part of Advent is that's the hope that comes through the Christmas season. So if you don't mind, I would like you to turn to your Bibles in chapter 11, even though really the heart of what's in 11 comes from the very beginning of John and the early parts of the Gospels. And what he's really doing is the the birth of Jesus, John chapter 11 is invited out of the birth of Christ. So out of Christmas, we get John chapter 11. Does that make sense? We wouldn't have a chapter 11 if we didn't have a birth point of Jesus. And this is why he was born, or at least in part, what we can say. So if you'll turn to John chapter 11, we're going to read verse 4, and then I'm going to pray here. So it says in John chapter 11, verse 4, You ready? Everybody's looking down, so I'm making sure that you're there. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus' part here. Now we're reading the story of Lazarus being raised up from the dead. I think this is the, one of the most remarkable stories and miracles in all of the Bible, is that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But I like this very part because Jesus is saying this sickness, this and Lazarus did die, but it was only a momentary death, but not in Jesus' eyes. And I'll get into that here in a minute. Not in Jesus' eyes. But if you think about it, when we're talking about hope, when Lazarus died, especially Martha and Mary, who were his sisters, but it, it, it actually affected the community. And isn't that true when somebody dies, especially somebody that's important? I won't say people of prominence. I'll say people who are important. When they die, it affects the community. When they're sick unto death, it affects the community. And the community was affected. And there was a feeling of hopelessness. As you read this, there was a feeling of hopelessness that had gripped the heart of Mary and Martha. And they begin to present that hopelessness to Jesus. And one of the ways they did that, they said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother had not died. So what they thought was Jesus was a healer. But Jesus was about to show them what more he was. 
Isn't that beautiful? I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I mean, I kind of have an idea where some of you are, right? But, I mean, I don't know ultimately where everybody is here in this place. But I can say this. Wherever you stopped with Jesus, you're like, Lord, you're a miracle worker, or God, you're a savior, you're a deliverer of emotional trauma, whatever you stopped at, I want you to go the next, I want you to realize Jesus is ready to go the next level with you. He's ready to go in another level with you. A level you haven't been at. And I want to say that for the rest of your life, God can introduce new levels. And so the hope is this. The hope is that it'll never stop. That I'll never come to a climax with God. That it'll never end for me, even if I choose to let it end. That God doesn't, I doesn't have to. There's an immortality about God. There's an omnipotence about Him that I haven't tapped into. And I can spend the rest of my life and eternity coming to know what that's all about. I've heard it said, I don't know if I can truly say it's a 100% um, biblical verse, but I I think it it correlates that the angels will cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And they do that again and again and again. And somebody once said, and I don't know, I believe it to be true, that it's because God is revealing a new facet of himself to the angels. And then when they see him again, they see him in a new glory. They gaze on him in a new greatness to who he was. So really, when you look at chapter 11, Jesus is trying to say something, not only to that audience, but he's trying to get us there too, because essentially, whether it's a death of a loved one or it's something else in our life, we come to the place in our world where we struggle to have hope. Something has gotten us locked down. Sometimes, and I can say this for myself, and I know probably for everybody here in my audience, is that all of us have had times where depression hit us hard. Or difficulty came and we didn't know what to do about it. And I can raise my hands to that in so many different times. One of the things I can reflect on is with my family. My wife and the kids had gotten, and I share this because I can't help but share it over and over again. Because for me, God has been so grateful, gracious to us. And I'm so grateful for what he did. But all of them could have died in that wreck. Every single one of them. And the wreck in such a way is that there's no explanation but the hand of God had kept them from going and continued to tumble down the hill until either seriously injured or completely. Well, I hadn't known that day that before I didn't, before I became hopeless, God had already given me my hope. And so that call that I got that day from my wife was this call from the road with one bar, one bar of uh, reception to be able to tell me while I'm over there at the border of Canada, we're all safe. I didn't even know an accident had happened until that moment. That they're all safe so that I already had the relief before I had the reason to worry. But that's not always true in every scenario. That's not always happening. Sometimes situations, the unexplainable tragedies come and we don't know what to do or say about it. But this is the beauty of what Jesus Christ this Christmas is trying to introduce to us through, I believe, John chapter 11. Jesus was, talking, was, uh, Jesus was talking about a final death. So he said, this sickness is not under final death. But he's not talking, but, it, but what it was happening is an immediate death. So when we read this, Lazarus did die, but it was only for four days. Now most of us would say that's a long time. But for Jesus, it wasn't very long, evidently. And I want to I say this because I think the people who are sitting on the other side, including Mary and Martha, would be saying just like you and me, Is that possibly true? Could that possibly be true that this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God? I want you to turn 
and look in chapter 11, verses 5 through 7. And he says, Jesus loved them. So why did he wait? I want you to, I want to read this verse. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Catch that. Jesus loved them. But this tragedy still took place even though Jesus loved. So when he had heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. They told him, they sent some messengers to go tell Jesus, Lazarus is sick. I mean, and this is like a serious sickness. And Jesus waits two more days before he does anything. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now Jesus had been persecuted there. They were like, what are you going to go there for? Because now, now they're looking for you. Like the police for, policeman for a criminal, you know. And Jesus waited two more days. And the question that I think comes to the human mind at that point is, if Jesus loved them, why did he wait? Why did he wait? On such an urgent request, why did Jesus wait? It has the appearance as if he didn't have compassion, as if he didn't care in the moment. How many of you have been there? I mean, if we're going to be honest, we're probably going to say, we've all been there. We're like, Lord, I, I really, I'm a man or a woman of faith. I love you. I, I haven't cursed your name. I've been trying to be faithful to you. But what's going on here? What is going on? And so, this is, this is that moment that I would say this. If, you, if Jesus didn't have a supreme, a radical hope to give them, then that would have been without compassion. But they didn't know what Jesus was about to do. Jesus knew what He was going to do, but they didn't know. And that's what's remarkable, is sometimes our waiting time, that waiting period where we're wondering what God is going to do and how He's going to do it, and it seems like He's kind of left us alone. I love the Psalms where the psalmist says, um, his cry is, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me and cast me not away from your presence. He says, I don't want to miss you, Lord. I don't want to miss the moment with you. And I think when it comes down to it, it can be one of two things. I don't want to go through this or Jesus, I don't want to miss you in this. I don't want to miss you at all in this. And so as we're getting ready to wrap into the Christmas season, why don't you ask that question? Why don't we take some time to ask the question? Is, do, you want, do you want the season to go by and how do you want it to go by, essentially? Lord, how do I want my time to be with you or my experience this Christmas? This could be a, a Christmas of all Christmases as far as that's concerned. This could be a time in, of uh, having Jesus, family, or whatever the case might be, and it could be the best one you've ever had. You don't even know why. And essentially, that's what Jesus is about to do. If Jesus had come earlier, they would have been limited to seeing Him as a restorer of health, and their hope would have been satisfied, but His magnificence would have remained a mystery. See, what they wanted was to see their brother healed. And if Jesus had come earlier and healed him, they would have missed something. And sometimes, you know, like that old commercial, um, it was the Heinz ketchup commercial, and it would take forever for the ketchup to come out of the bottle. And do you remember what the commercial would say, the good things are worth waiting for? Well, I think when it comes to the kingdom of God, the great things are worth even waiting longer for. 
It's even worth the, the trial period, as it were, waiting for God to do whatever he's going to do and embracing him in the moment. And so you notice this thing is that Jesus is actually wanting to reveal his magnificence. And I, I, want, I want to get into this a little bit more, but I'm going to save just a little bit for you a little bit later in the sermon. Hope is when the human heart. So this is when, when, when we're talking about hope. Hope is when the human heart embraces the deeper reality of Jesus' sovereignty over the complexity of human life and human suffering. I want to say that one more time. Hope is when my heart embraces the deeper reality of Jesus' sovereignty over the complexity of human life and suffering. The complexity of it. So why, why is it going on? Because it's going to be cured. Because there's going to be a new day for you. There's going to be an awesome day for you coming. There's going to be a remarkable moment. I remember a brother once said to me, he said, you know, the hotter the battle, the greater the victory. The more deeper the battle, the greater the victory. Well, maybe I should say this. The greater the battle, the greater the hope. The greater the battle, the greater the hope. Jesus isn't leaving us for a long period of time. It's like Jesus said to his disciples, I go away, but I'm going to send the comforter to you. That's what we need this season. We need that comforter. And I love, I love just the comfort of the joy of my own home, the peace of my own house. But I can say all of that is because God has given it in his time and in his way. Hope is when the human heart embraces the deeper reality of Jesus' sovereignty. This is, I want to say, Jesus was so sovereign in this moment that everybody else's world was falling apart, but Jesus wasn't. When our world falls apart, Jesus doesn't fall apart. Jesus is faithful in that. Hope is like the sun. Oh, so this is a quote by Samuel Smiles, and it says this Hope is like the sun, which, as we journey toward it, casts a shadow of burden behind us. Hope is like the sun, which as we journey toward it, casts the shadow of our burden behind us. See, we need hope. Our world needs hope. I don't care what we're going through. That is our lifeline right there. We need to have something to hope for. We need to have hope in everything we go through. Because if we didn't, even our joys in the moment would not last long. As a matter of fact, we probably wouldn't be able to retain the joy of the moment because we would be worried about what was going to happen in the future. We're just knowing that the, the shoe is going to drop and something bad is going to happen. So the hope to hold on to, and this is what I would say to brothers and sisters today is, just keep hoping. Just keep hoping, but find your hope in Jesus. Because you can't live without it. It's like the air you breathe. It's the heartbeat in your chest. You need this hope. And part of this journey of life is to remember this, if I could put it this way. Remember that what Jesus did, so think about Jesus dying on a cross, Jesus bleeding and suffering, and then think about the resurrection. And then ask yourself the question, is there anything God can't do? On that alone, is there anything God can't do? My favorite verse in the Bible. So if you're like you're wondering, um, what is the pastor's favorite verse? I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you my favorite verse. But you know, tomorrow that could change. But this one's been my favorite for quite a long time. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 32, and it says this, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Everybody in this place right now is immensely wealthy. I just don't know how much you're drawing out of your account. But you're immensely wealthy because there's no buying. There's no need to give God money. You just give of yourself and surrender and say, Jesus, here I am. Here I am. The one I just said, oh, Romans 8.32. Yeah, I didn't put that one up there. I got to leave something for just the inspiration of the moment. So this is a fact. I believe this with all my heart. Hope is ready to be embraced long before we do. Hope is ready to be embraced long before we do. See, when we read through this story, all the way from verses 23 to verse 40, they are missing the whole message Jesus is trying to convey to them. The whole message Jesus was trying to convey. Hope was present the whole time. They just couldn't see it. So Mary and Martha had come to Jesus and they said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. They had come weeping. Jesus had said, if you would believe, um, though they were dead, yet shall they live. And, And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And they're struggling to grasp that thought. And so in one of the sisters had said, well, Lord, I know in the resurrection that he'll live again. And then Jesus is like, you're totally missing the point. You're missing it. And that's what's powerful about the hope that God delivers. Because while we're missing it, God is still urging us to the right direction. See, most of us are really waiting for a miracle before we're going to start hoping in Jesus. We're waiting for that transforming moment or that that thing that we're looking for, longing to happen. We're waiting to see that, then we'll start hoping. But what Jesus was doing was He was inviting them into the hope before he had done it. Jesus, there wasn't going to change what he was about to do. He was going to raise him up from the dead. But what would it, I think God would appreciate it if his children, his people, would learn to trust him before they see the miracle happen. There is this beauty about the, when a, um, a Christian can surrender to the fact that, Jesus, you do not abandon me. You do not forsake me. You're not letting me go through anything without purpose and design. In the end, this is going to be beautiful. And I have no reason to doubt that, even from this moment. I'd be wasting my breath and giving the devil something to gloat over if I don't give you the glory you deserve right now. You are God, and you're the living Son of God. Why waste my breath giving the devil one moment of opportunity to grasp at something? So Jesus... I love the the beauty of Jesus' gentleness and working with them, even in their unbelief, and they're missing the mark along the way. And I think that if Jesus were here, he'd be struggling to to do the same thing with us. I would say this, their grief did not alter the least bit of the hope that was in Jesus. Remember this, that whenever we're struggling and grieving, sometimes grief, grief is often good. Don't miss that mark. Grief can often be good, but grief can carry us to places that are not good at all. And hope is when our grief gets a lesson from the transcendence of God. Can I say that one more time? Hope 
is when our grief gets a lesson in the transcendency of God. When Jesus raised him from the dead, all the way along the path, but when Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, they finally got to see how transcendent God was. Just remember that. In our world, transcendency is something we almost don't know anything about. It doesn't even hardly make sense. Is that there's a transcendent creator. So whether we say he suspends the law of nature or he introduced something within nature that's within his own nature, but not in anything that we're used to, that's what we're talking about, transcendency. Meaning that there are things that couldn't happen unless God could do it. But because he's transcendent, it means that he could do it. That's why when we read verses in Matthew where he says, what's impossible for God is possible with men. When we have these opportunities to share about miracles and what God has done through lives or what God has done in our own lives, I think that is powerful because really it's the transcendency of God that touched my life, that touched your life, and changed me and made me a different person. Brought about hope. Hope is when our grief gets a lesson in the transcendence of God. When Jesus stood up to the grave, I wonder what they were thinking because one of the things Jesus told them was he said, you need to roll away the stone. So here was the stone rolled over the tomb. And Jesus looks at them and he said, before I do this, you need to roll away the stone. Just get, me, get it ready for me. And now Jesus could have done that, but that's not what his plan was. And I think there's a, there's a problem when we let grief take away our hope. We lose faith in God while we're doing it. And so... Jesus is trying to get them to restore a little bit of faith at the beginning of this whole road and just roll away the stone. I like to say this sometimes, just give me the benefit of the doubt. Just just try it on, you know. If it doesn't work, it's not going to be any skin off of your back if it didn't happen. So let's just give me the benefit of the doubt. And I don't know that that's what Jesus was saying, but practically people could at least do that much, right? Could at least give him the chance. Johnny Erickson Tata, she was a Christian who had been struggled with being crippled for a long season of life. And she says this, The best we can hope for in this life is a not-whole peak at the shining realities ahead. Yet a glimpse is enough. It's enough to convince our hearts that whatever sufferings and sorrow currently assail us aren't worthy of comparison to that which waits over the horizon. That is amazing. I love that, is that you just don't know what's over the horizon. Beyond this breath, beyond this body, what's over in the horizon for you? And so we're getting a peak, and really, this day that Jesus raised Lazarus up from the dead, this was a peak at the greater reality of what God had for His people. And there's a lot, I think, goes into that. Maybe I'll get back to that here in a minute. Jesus' reality was that he was the resurrection. So he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. So when he's talked to, about Lazarus, he said, Lazarus was asleep, not dead. He said, let us go to Lazarus, he's asleep. And the disciples said, well, Lord, why he'll wake up eventually. Why do we need to go wake him up? Well, we don't need to be his alarm clock, in paraphrased version. We don't need to be an alarm clock to him. And Jesus is like, okay, fine, he's dead. You know, like, you don't understand. From my perspective, he's just asleep. Because when you think of the resurrection, 
The resurrection means that the dead will come to life again. And so there will be a resurrection. And Jesus is like, there's not going to be a resurrection. So when, when we're talking about the resurrection of human bodies in the last days, now this is from the Bible, so don't misunderstand this, that every living soul will one day be raised up in a physical body. So all the graves from the beginning of humanity to the day Jesus comes will come up out of their graves. They're going to have brand new physical bodies. They're not just going to be disembodied spirits for eternity. And that's pretty powerful because the kingdom of God in time will one day be where we live immortally. We live forever with immortal bodies, physical bodies that cannot die, cannot get sick. None of those things. So Jesus was saying, essentially, that resurrection day that you're all expecting to happen, one of these times, whether you die or you're caught up to meet Him in the air, that resurrection is going to happen when I speak it. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the one that's going to give birth to the resurrection. And so right now, as an appetizer to that resurrection that will happen, I'm going to raise up Lazarus so that the world doesn't dismiss me as a good healer. As the world doesn't just think that I was a prophet, and I died as a prophet. That the world can only hope and understand that the only message that I'm giving to them is that I am God in flesh, and that's who I am. So Jesus was at John 11 getting ready to depart. It's about time for His crucifixion and to go be at the right hand of the Father. And so he's sending a very important message at this time. He's sending a very important message. So to him and to every dead person there is, Jesus looks at them with a tombstone. And since 1845 or whenever, Jesus is looking at them like they're still asleep. They're just asleep. They've just been sleeping for a long time. Some of us like to sleep in. <laughs> Some of you just sleeping in. Jesus was offering hope based exclusively on this reality. So when, when the sisters had said, had you been here, you would have cured him from sickness and he wouldn't have died. And Jesus is like, that's not the hope I'm bringing. The Christmas hope is not the hope that somebody's going to be healed today. Now, it's wonderful when God gives us a little bit of that. What uh, Johnny was talking about was that not whole peek into some, a glimpse of of that glory for the time being, but that's not what Jesus is bringing. Jesus is bringing something far greater than just a temporary healing for now. He's talking about the eternal life that is in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus was demonstrating that for them to believe in. Because it's really hard. It's really hard to believe in something without a demonstration. Something has to give me a demonstration for it. So now we are on this. Do you believe in history? Because Jesus doesn't have to raise Lazarus from the dead, and Jesus doesn't have to raise himself up from the dead if you believe in history. History is recorded in. So if you believe in the history of it, it's as good as if it had happened in our day. Jesus was leaving, and they needed to know that he was erection, not just the healers. Hope is when. I want you to hear this. Hope, this season, not as in the gifts you get under the tree, how many you do or you don't get, it's not in whether you get to spend a lot of time with family and people who love you. 
that's wonderful when we do, but that's not the hope that I'm talking about. The hope isn't that I actually am not going to spend the holidays by myself. That's not the hope. The hope is this. Hope is when we can recalculate everything in life based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I, I, what I'm saying is this. I don't know what you, how you look at life. I don't know how you have, what your worldview is. I don't know how you see politics and see the news and see the church today. I don't know how you see your world. But I'll, say, I'll tell you this, that the only time that you or I get hope is when we can recalculate everything on the basis that Jesus Christ was resurrected. Because we know that if He was resurrected, then He offers us the kingdom of God without price. That's why my next favorite verse, he says we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. In other words, what was Christ was given to us in this life. Only to operate in the will and in the fashion of God's will and purpose for that. So it's not like we just go flaunt the gifts of God around and go get a bunch of money for it. That's not what He gave it for. He gave it for the salvation of those who are in need of salvation. Jesus came for the sick. So when I can recalculate, even though my mind and my feelings look at my situation, Lord, give me the, rev the revelation of the resurrection. I like the words of the Apostle Paul. It's in, in Philippians. And he says, he talks about the, uh, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable to his death, but now under the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The whole thing that drove that man was the resurrection. You took the resurrection out and Paul would have never preached one message. He would have never come out of his Pharisee lifestyle he would have never changed for the glory of God. He would have never lived and we would have never had a Bible and we wouldn't be living or we wouldn't be in this place right now. But this is what Jesus came to do, was to glorify the Father and give magnificence to Him. And so if we can recalculate everything based on the resurrection, that's where our hope comes out of. And Jesus made the statement in verse 15, in 11, chapter 15, I mean, chapter 11, verse 15, the disciples, well, actually I'm going to go back just a little bit. Um, and As I was saying earlier in verse 12. And when his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest and sleep. And Jesus said to them, in verse 14, plainly, Lazarus is dead. Verse 15. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Now you know why he wasn't there that you may believe, nevertheless, let us go to him. So Jesus is saying, now do you understand why I waited? Now they still hadn't gotten it yet, but they were about to. But once God does things in our life, it, clarif it clarifies things, doesn't it? I'll say, once God has brought to us, brought us out of or brought us into something new, something we've been hoping for ultimately, it changes our perspective immediately. There's something powerful about when a truth grips your heart and you're seeing a truth for the first time in a whole different way and it changes the perspective on that basis. 
That's what repentance actually is birthed out of, is the truth of something that I didn't notice before, I didn't pay attention to, and now I'm seeing that. And so really when it comes down to it, I think this is why a lot of times we're actually saying what births Christians hope, what births the fact that we're joyful at all seasons of life, oftentimes is the very fact that I know something. I know something. I know something God has showed to me, God has revealed in my life already in the past, and I'm just waiting for Him to do it again. I know He'll be faithful. I'm not worried about that. So Jesus said, glad for your sakes. I am glad that I didn't prematurely go and heal Lazarus. I'm glad I didn't prematurely jump in and give you a miracle a little bit ahead of time just because you were uncomfortable, because you didn't believe, because you were struggling and wrapped around your unbelief, because when I'm done, that's all going to be over with. Ah, that's wonderful. When I'm done and this is finished, now you'll have nothing but weight to hold you down in faith and trust me in every season of life. Trust me in every season of life. Faith in resurrection comes out of resurrection. Ultimately, that's what Jesus was doing. The faith for the resurrection was going to come out of a resurrection. So there's three things that I see through this uh, in chapter 11 of this story of Jesus raising up Lazarus from the dead. And one of them, Jesus presents truth before he provides the miracle. Oftentimes, this is what happens. Now, it's not always that this happens. So don't think this is the way God always does things. But many of us are in this place in life where God is presenting the truth before He provides the miracle. And He's asking you, just believe me. Now, how many times do I have to show myself trustworthy in your life in order for you to trust me? But once you get to that place of trust, is there any reason that you should start doubting it? Unless one day I really truly let you down. What we usually have is we feel let down because what I wanted and the way I wanted, the timing I wanted, didn't happen my way. And God disappointed me because He didn't do it my way. But God never disappoints you when He does it His way. (laughs) When you want it His way, you won't be disappointed because you learn that He's better at orchestrating the events of life and the world around us than we are, right? How many of us, if God gave you His job, would do a better job at it? You're right. If God gave me his job, I could do a better job. If God gave you his job at overseeing your life, do you think you could do a better job? <laughs> yeah, well, even if we haven't. <laughs> Here's the word, Romans chapter 4, verse 13. Awesome. Love my overhead guy back there. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If you read Romans chapter 4, what it says is that as it is written before him whom he believed, even God who quickens the dead, that he said you would become a father of nations. This is long before it happened. So God gave the truth before he gave the miracle. A long time before. It's amazing God's time gap isn't restraining what needs to happen within the world. And just remember that. When you're, when you're struggling to find out, Lord, what is it? why is it that I'm not getting what I'm praying for in the moment? That time gap isn't making it worse. It isn't ruining anything. It's not stopping anything. That's how we look at it. 
But God's orchestrating everything behind it. He's perfect at what He does. Romans chapter 4, verse 17, and that's the one that I was just saying. As is written, I have made you a father of nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, I love that, in hope believed. So that's what Abraham did. So that he became the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall your descendants be. Do you hear this, the message behind that? God gave him the message of hope. God gave him the truth. Abraham held on to that truth. Abraham believed that truth. And that's where his hope was. He believed that God was sufficient and God's character was perfect that he didn't need to be worried that something was going to miss. And he held on to that until he became 100 years old. <laughs> That's faith. But when we're saying faith, what we're not saying is this. We don't have credibility behind what we're believing. We have every reason to believe it. Actually, we have no reason not to. In reality, we have no reason not to. Once God gave to Abraham the promise that you are going to have a son and he will be born through Sarah. Once God gave that, the circumstances never changed the level at which God was going to do that. It didn't need to happen. It didn't need to be any particular circumstance. So I don't think that ultimately God is always making things go bad so that we'll just press in and believe. I think the reality piece is this. You're acting as if you're already possessing the thing that God promised because you know that He can't be unfaithful. That's what we're doing. That's what hope is all about. I'm, I'm, I'm going on in my merry way, dancing and singing in the rain as it were, because as far as I'm concerned, it's a sunny day. It's sunny because God has already given me the promise in the middle of it and God won't fail. That's what faith is all about. The moment we go anywhere else with that, it's saying this, God might fail. God could fail or God does fail. Now you don't have any hope, right? Now the hope has gone out the door. I see the second thing is this. When we read through John chapter 11, this is another thing that I see in it. In their grief, they treated Jesus as if he had missed his window of opportunity. Do we do that? Lord, you missed your window of opportunity. That was supposed to happen yesterday or... or uh, a year ago, whatever. Why, why did you miss your window of opportunity in their grief? Human grief, though it can be good, can also infect us with an evil disposition to reject hope. Hope thrives only in those who receive it. Hope thrives in those who receive it. Right now, I want to say the challenge in life is, can, can you hold on to the hope? Can you hold on to the hope God has given? All throughout this Bible, promise after promise after promise, can you hold on to the hope of the promises God has given? In John chapter 1, verse 12, he says, But as many as received Him, believed in Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in His name. So th hope thrives only in those who receive it. That's the mystery piece that we all struggle with is if, if God essentially 
What's the release that releases the hand of God? It's the faith in your life. Jesus, when they said, uh, cure us, Jesus said, be it according to your faith. Do you understand where that comes from? Just wait, now trust me in it. And I think that's pretty powerful when you get down to it. He's not asking you to do the work. He's not telling us to do it for Him. He's not telling us to manage it. He's just telling us to believe Him to do it. So in their grief, they were, they were looking at as Jesus had missed his window of opportunity. And the reality of what Jesus was trying to say was in absolute contrast to what they were thinking. It was an absolute contrast to the way they were thinking. And so Jesus is like, I'm the resurrection. And they're like, okay, I guess that will happen later on. No, that's not what I'm saying. And they come crying and weeping and wondering where Jesus was. And Jesus, you weren't here at the right time. And Jesus is like, I was here at the right time. I was here at a perfect time. Measured in the ways of God, it's a perfect time. I remember we had a, uh, we, we were going on, after the wreck, we had already paid for and planned for a uh, wedding anniversary. And we had no car to go there with. And we, we, were, we were looking for vehicles. We had a certain price range. We didn't have much for money at the time. And we were in need, in a sense. And the car we finally bought got us to the coast. It was, it was like it was perfect timing. The car was right. It met her interests and mine. How many of you get that? that you know that's a miracle of God when the man and the woman gets the same, the both the, the thing they want in the same vehicle or whatever, the house. So we both got what we were asking the Lord for, what we wanted. We drove the car there, and on the way back, before we made it into uh, Hermiston, we were like just on the outside of, uh, I can't remember the name of the place, but anyway, the car broke down, and it was a fuel pump issue. And, and out of that, we had to pay an extra night in a hotel we weren't planning on paying for. I went home, got the truck from work, and trailer and went and got my car and brought it here because it was cheaper to have the mechanic do it here. But this is what caught my attention was it wasn't that it, it, it wasn't that God stopped us from having a bad thing happen. It was the timing of the bad thing. Man, that was remarkable to me. I was like, man, we just had, we just escaped through the skin of our teeth having our family here with me just to have that alone and now we almost missed, right behind that, our opportunity to have, like, it was kind of like our first real um, honeymoon, in a sense, because we never really had one. And so this was going to be kind of a weighing thing on us. And then we get a car, and then, boom, it falls apart on us. But it didn't fall apart during our time and our stay. And so really, when I look at it, it's like there's hope. There was such an amazing hope during that time, but it started to unfold as I was surrendering my heart to God and just learning to let the Lord go. And when that happened, I was, I was extremely happy. So I want to say in life, learn to recalculate everything on the basis of the resurrection of Jesus. What I mean by that is, is that God can't fail you. He's been resurrected. Last thing. Raising Lazarus provided a clarity as to the level of hope Jesus is offering. Raising Lazarus from the dead provided a clarity as to the level of hope Jesus was offering. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, 
abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. So the hope is far more than you're actually asking in the moment. More than what you're anticipating in the moment. It's greater than that. So this is the kind of demonstration that makes unbelief look really bad. (laughs) This is the kind of demonstration that makes unbelief look really bad. Why did you choose to do that? Why do you choose not to believe? As if I had a good reason for it. And that's really the level that God has given us, is that there is a clarity. We need to clarify that Jesus is not just a healer. Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is not just a good man. Jesus is the Son of God. And there's nothing outside of His sphere of ability to be able to do. And so as we get that clarity into this, and as they did that day, it reminds us how we ought to be praying and seeking the face of God. Lord, You can't fail. You can't fail, not ultimately. And I'm looking forward to what Jesus is going to do in our lives together. Let's keep praying for that. And our community right now needs us to live this hope. This, our community needs this right now. There's a lot of good families and a lot of people are going to be really happy this season, but there's a lot that are not. And regardless of their state of happiness, how many of them know Jesus? In all of that, how many of them know Jesus? So they need to know that our hope is really invested in the fact that there is a high level that God, we are at this level with Jesus. We're not down here. We trust Him for it. Let's pray together. We're going to trust the Lord um, to minister to your hearts this morning on whatever it is that He's wanting to give you hope in. Would you just give Him this moment um, and, and ask Him one more day, one more time to refresh your hope, refresh your hope and expectation for His mighty hand at work. Father, thank You that we get the privilege today, Lord, not only just to share a meal together, but we get, the, we get the opportunity to share these moments, Father, of getting a new breath of hope in our church, Lord, in our brothers and sisters. And God, we're anticipating a lot from you. We anticipate a lot because you're remarkable in all of your ways. And I want to just thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness this morning, God. In, in, our, in our world, we're not always going through struggles, but we always have hope. We always have the firmness of what you've done to look at, Jesus. And I just pray, Lord, one more time, will you help us hold up, faithfully look at and love what you have done to secure our faith and to give us every reason not to come to you with unbelief. Jesus, help us now. I thank you. Thank you, Jesus. If you would, just take a few moments either to come to the altar or just where you're at, but just express your hope before the Lord. What are you hoping God for? And what are you looking to the Lord for in this moment? And trust Him, not only for that thing, but remember that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to make that happen. Just trust Him beyond this moment. We give you praise. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship Him together as we take